What is going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. On today's episode, I sat down with Nikhil Kamath. Nikhil Kamath is India's youngest new billionaire. He is the 34-year-old Zaroda co-founder and a chess champion who dropped out of school at the age of 14. That was the starting move in a sequence of events that would eventually earn him billionaire status as part of India's answer to trading platform Robinhood. On this podcast, we talked about his journey on why he started Zerota, what led to the burst of growth during the pandemic, and how everyone started flocking to his trading platform. So before we get into it, I just want to say it was such a pleasure having him on the show. Please make sure you check out Nikhil on Instagram, Twitter, or wherever you can find him and enjoy today's podcast with the one and only Nikhil Kamath. What is going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. Today, I am joined by Nikhil Kamath, the founder of True Beacon and also Zerota. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Casey. Thank you for having me. So it's been said that you've created the, the Robin Hood of India. Is that correct? That's what I've been hearing a lot. <laughs> well, I, I would say we are similar in some ways, but... Uh, the way regulation works in the two countries is very different. Uh, so we don't operate in the same way that they do. Also, I think we predate them by about five years. Yeah. They've been around for about 11 years. Now, so. Very cool, man. And uh, your story is fascinating, man. So you, you dropped out of high school at, at 14 and you were playing chess. How did, how did that happen? And what caused you to drop out and to pursue chess? Yeah, so chess started fairly early uh, for me when I was about five or six growing up. And uh, I kept playing more chess and uh, around 14, I decided to quit school, not in isolation because of chess, but also maybe a part of it. I think I was very inclined towards getting on the journey of, you know, starting to work, be a professional, start a business. I was very eager and I started at a very early age. So I would, in fact, uh, I had a business selling used mobile phones at about the same time. That was a trigger to, to you know, kind of like stop the formal education and then go into business very well. Very cool. And um, how did you go from chess to starting Zerota? And what, what made you decide that you wanted to build a platform for not only retail traders, but to pursue something that is just such a big opportunity? Uh, so started trading the stock markets early. Uh, so stock markets give you, they offer you this big privilege that you do not need a, a graduation, you don't need to be a college grad, you don't need too much information going in if you want to you know, flirt with the idea of buying and selling a company. Uh, I started trading early at about age 17. Uh, I got a full-time job in a call center at about the same time. So I was doing the both in a parallel. And uh, trading, when I began, had its ups and downs. There were many cycles. Uh, you do lose money a few number of times before you, know, you get you build any kind of proficiency as a trader. Uh, so trading started at 17. I'm 34 today, so 
it's been 17 years of trading yep but when we began yeah when we began trading in india uh, the incumbent brokers of the time were very inefficient uh, they were very fee heavy uh, not very transparent uh, and just too many inefficiencies for a retail trader to trade full time and be able to you know make a living out of it so we decided to at some point you know trading led to managing money for third party and then at some point we we decided that to actually scale in this business we would need to be a broker ourselves so that began the journey of broking in about 2009 so about 11 years ago wow and i know that last year you guys had some exponential growth with the pandemic how have you guys been able to sustain the growth and how have you as the founder um you know like how have you changed over the past year and what were some of the difficulties that you had to um, withstand to grow at such a rapid pace? Well, I think, uh, Casey, in all fairness, uh, we've been one of the few industries which did okay during the pandemic. Uh, unlike America and many Western countries, uh, India went into a complete lockdown very early. Yep. As early as March last year, everything was shut by everything i mean uh, you couldn't go to office there were no grocery stores uh, wow just the bare essentials were open uh, as a result of that we kind of got out of the pandemic situation early too any industries which were allowed to operate during the pandemic was uh, stockbroking yep. and uh, like in the west and like in other peer geographies everything that is online i think has done well everything uh, uh, when people had time to sit at home open trading accounts try to build for themselves an ancillary income in a way i think helped the industry overall and uh, not just us our competitors uh, not just in india but across the world i think everybody in the fintech space did reasonably well during the pandemic absolutely what have you guys seen with like the youth? Because I'm, I'm 20 years old, right? And I know that there's this whole thing in America and I'm sure you've heard it. It's like the Robin Hood traders and they, and you saw the yeah. thing with um, GameStop and all these companies just, how can, how is it different in India? Is there a lot of young or millennials or younger groups of people getting involved with Zerota? And what's your thoughts on that? Well, luckily for us, I think we have a regulator, like uh, you have the SEC, we have the SEBI, and uh, these guys have kind of like stepped in and been fairly proactive. Uh, so something like a GameStop is possible if there is a certain amount of leverage for a novice trader to utilize. Uh, so they've curtailed the leverage available in India to a large extent. So I think uh, they've done their job. Normally, regulators don't do this, right? Across the world, when something goes wrong, they come by and fix it. But these guys have made an exception. Uh, they've been preemptive about the whole thing, and they've created an environment where it would be tough for a stock like GameStop to be operated in one way or another. Very cool. So um, just for context, too, so you and your brother started Zerota, is that right? How has it, how has it been building a company and not only becoming a billionaire, but doing that alongside your brother? How, like, what has that been like? 
It's been great, honestly. I think uh, we've always been very close. Uh, and I think we have uh, skill sets which are complementary to each other. Uh, I think Nitin is amazing at uh, people, product, driving a vision, at really inspiring people to do better. Uh, and I tend to focus more towards uh, stuff related to investment, risk management, stock market kind of thing. Uh, so it has worked for us and we spend a lot of time both at work and outside of work. We play a lot of sport together, and, uh, there you hang go. out. And it's fun. I think, you know, to have somebody in life who you can depend on in the ups and downs, vice versa, I think it's great. Very cool. What does like your day-to-day look like nowadays? And how do you balance that out with your brother and your team? <laughs> well, typical day is uh, getting up at about 7.30 in the morning. Uh, I start work at about 8, in between 8, 8.15. Uh, the markets open shortly after. Uh, markets go on till about 3.30 p.m. So I'm fairly occupied at that time. And then we have a lot of meetings and Zoom calls and, you know, like just stuff to, you know, grow the business one way or another. And uh, the day typically ends with a workout if I can, you know, like yeah. uh, muster the uh, courage and motivation to actually end up <laughs> in the gym, which happens a couple of times a week. And after that, you know, you watch some TV or read a book and go to bed. Weekends are a lot more interesting. Weekends are when I try and catch up with friends, go out for a drink or play a sport. Uh, So weekends add a little bit of excitement to otherwise a very routine cycle. Yeah, very cool, man. Uh, I know you talk about this concept of redefining what a billionaire is. And like, what does it mean to you to be a billionaire? And how do you want to redefine that? It, it doesn't really mean that much. I think uh, outside of titles and terms, I think uh, if you have capital at hand, uh, it makes you braver as an entrepreneur. You can go out and you know uh, try new things, take advantage of more opportunities. Uh, I think that's the most significant change. Now, we've tried like, if, if you were to talk about different economic models that we have witnessed in our history. Uh, We've had, we have great issues with, you know, income inequality and wealth disparity in the world we live in today. But we did try socialism and different forms of that and communism and all of these have not worked. Uh, Capitalism in its current structure might not be apt for what the world needs today. Uh, You would need, say, uh, a certain amount of benevolence on the people who have benefited from capitalism to make the society uh, succeed together. But I think, uh, uh, I'll give you an example. Between America and India, you guys have wealth disparity issues, so do we, but I think ours are a bit more stark today. But you guys have wealth taxes and inheritance taxes, which kind of like narrows that gap. I think a case should be made for India as a country to introduce stuff like that. Uh, personally, I believe inherited wealth should be taxed at a higher rate 
than income is today because income tax tax beyond a certain point kind of does not aid entrepreneurship which the country really needs yeah but but very simply i think access to capital just gives you the confidence to go out and try new stuff that is the that is the main change that it brings i love that too and and I think like myself, right, you read all these stories of billionaire, billionaire, and myself as a, a young individual, I think redefining what that means is important because it's, it's, you know, it's the title, it's the thing, but people behind that title have such a story and there's so much knowledge and there's so much to provide to the world. And I think too, just hearing your story of, you know, dropping out of school at 14 and you hear this this not only success story, but you're able to see the journey, which obviously led to your success today. But what what does your success mean to you today? Yeah, so Casey, often in life, I think when a certain company does well, and by by virtue of that company having done well, the individuals associated with it tend to do well on a monetary level. Uh, I think people incorrectly attributed to hard work and intelligence and somebody with abilities which are spectacular. Uh, most often the case is it's just people who by coincidence were at the start of a big cycle, a big up cycle in that particular industry. There will always be millions of people who are more hardworking, more intelligent and, you know, uh, more innately naturally gifted than the people who have gotten lucky today uh, so i think uh, to pay heed to that and not forget that and know that you know you've gotten the little uh, distance that you have in life by virtue of where you were and at what period of time and the people you were associated with and who were working with you i think these things make a company succeed too often that entire focus shifts on you know one or two or three people which is probably incorrect i love that man and um going back to zaroda how have you been able to build the team what are what have been some of the like uh, i would say practices you've used to build culture and to scale your team that an entrepreneur could use today if they are on the cutting edge of a booming industry and they're going through rapid growth yeah, so I, I would in fact give more credit on you know the whole team building aspect. You know, people at work who have done a much better job than me at that. I think Lyndon has has been great at inculcating a culture, and uh, he kind of inspires all the people who we have working with us today. Very cool. Uh, but I think we got very lucky because the first ten people when we started as a company. Uh, we didn't go out and hire them professionally. They were friends we knew from childhood and neighbors and uh, the likes of that. And uh, we all being as close to each other as we were, we became very cohesive as a unit and uh, very, very transparent with each other. And luckily, I think that has permeated into the new layers when new people came and joined us. So we, I guess we got really lucky with that. Yeah. Very cool, man. Um, what does the entrepreneur scene look like in India? Are there a lot of young hustler entrepreneurs that are starting revolutionary businesses today? And how are you planning on supporting that? Or how do you want to be involved for the next generation of entrepreneurs in India? Yeah, so Casey, where I am 
right now is uh, a city called Bangalore, which is in the south of India. Uh, so this place is incredible. It's very vibrant. Uh, every second street you probably go into has like a bunch of startups and entrepreneurs of different kinds. Uh, we have a venture capital arm which goes out and you know like supports new companies which are I think support is kind of like pushing the word too much because you know we're trying to benefit from getting equity in these companies as well but we participate in the ecosystem wherever we see a cycle or a sector which we think will trend up over the next decade but this place is incredibly vibrant right now I think we must uh, have I wouldn't be surprised like over a dozen unicorns in Bangalore itself. Very cool. Uh, a lot of them scaling to, you know, like levels which are much, much bigger than you know, just being a unicorn. Very cool. Yeah. What type of industries do you see emerging the most out there? And when you, when you say these unicorns, like, do they all have a common theme or what industries do they tend to be in? Well, the flavor of the season here right now are SaaS companies. Uh, I think uh, a lot of small and medium enterprises are growing in India. They're mushrooming. And uh, these SaaS companies are well-placed to take advantage of that. So that's one company, which is one sector, which is really cool today. Uh, manufacturing, I think, by virtue of all the geopolitical tension around China and the rest of the world, has opened a big opportunity for India. Uh, we have ample labor, uh, which is available at very competitive prices and skilled labor at that. Uh, so disrupt, to disrupt the supply chain and, uh, and the whole manufacturing process, which would, which would probably be China's laws, could easily be India's gain. So that could be another sector for today. So we ourselves, we just you know started a new company in asset management. Yep, about true beacon, correct? So I think that industry is ripe for disruption, not just in India, uh, even in the West, like in America, if you were to go to a hedge fund and give them money, you typically pay 220, you know, and, and there are middlemen and distributors and private banks, which kind of rip people off with high fees. Uh, the idea with True Beacon was to eliminate all of that and make the hedge fund industry very transparent. Uh, we're trying to create a bridge for ultra HNIs and billionaires across the world. So you could be in Nigeria, in South Korea, or in India, uh, and your holding companies can very often benefit from making a connection in these geographies, which are far away from you, and it would typically be very hard for you to. So through True Beacon, we're trying to connect these people while being an asset management company or a hedge fund, which is very efficient by not having standing fees and uh, we only charge people on performance if we don't perform we don't charge our 10 percent carry i love that and that's i'm sure that's a that's a motivating factor for you guys to succeed because then you <laughs> obviously gain the upside when you say connect people internally through true beacon can you go deeper on that do you mean where like bringing you know these successful investors are coming to put money into true beacon and you're able to help connect the people that are getting involved to create new opportunities. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is True Beacon first and foremost allows for people to get India public market large cap exposure. So they get to participate in the, in the India story. 
while being uh, so efficient that we cut off the fees they would typically have to pay by about 80-90%. Secondly, we only cater to the ultra HNI audience, typically billionaires across the world. We have a filtering mechanism where we carefully pick who is allowed to invest in Beacon. Hundred of these investors, uh, we, we try to build a platform for them where we will sit with them, figure out what the holding companies do and what benefit we can create for them by introducing them to somebody in another network in another geography. So say, for example, we have a cement maker in India and an oil refinery in Nigeria. Both of them are clients of the asset management company, but they've never really been introduced or never thought of working with each other. You want to build that bridge on True Beacon. Very cool. uh, investment banks and old school merchant banks are meant to do this job. But they've kind of like you know done a horrible job of connecting <laughs> people. They're very offline as a business. They work in silos. Uh, one relationship manager will not will not you know kind of introduce his clientele for the fear of losing them. So we want yeah. to like democratize that for that particular community. Build a platform for them, and then see what can come out of the connections. That's very cool, man. I love that. Just being a connector. And, you know, that's, that's something I love to do, you know, having this podcast for three years and having so many great people on that, like yourself, it, it allowed me to make some cool connections. And, you know, if they end up doing business and have a deal, amazing. But if you were to look back when you were 20 years old, what would your advice be to your younger version of yourself and why? Yeah. I mean, I think it would be don't take life, uh, your professional life so seriously. I think there is a life beyond making money, uh, making a company succeed. Uh, I think you truly feel complete. I think this realization happens with time. I don't know your situation in life, if you have a family, if you have dependents. But I think outside of providing for them and outside of financial gains in life, uh, you need to have the other facets of life working at some level for you to be truly fulfilled or, you know, have a semblance of uh, contentment. Uh, I think I realized that too, too late in life. I did not focus on my interpersonal relationships, my friendships for a long, long time. If I could go back in time, I would definitely correct that. I love that. No, that's very good advice. And like I said, I'm 20 years old right now. I, I actually just moved for, to Los Angeles back in October. Um, grew up on the East Coast in a small town in Virginia. So I definitely, I love hearing that when you, <laughs> when you look back and, you know, can give yourself advice. That's super cool to hear. Um, just moving to the forward, like what are you most excited about with, you have everything at True Beacon and Zerota. You have so many moving parts like, what are you truly excited about? What make, what wakes you up every day? And how do you um, stay motivated throughout these times? Yeah, so the market is a great motivator. I, I always tell this to people. The one great thing about a job uh, in the stock markets is every day is di different. It's not repetitive at all. Yep. Uh, nobody can predict what will happen tomorrow, day after tomorrow, or even the, in the next hour. Uh, so you wake up every day wondering what might happen that day. And I think that is 
fairly exhilarating and it drags you into work. Uh, so that kind of keeps me like, you know, really motivated on a very organic level. And uh, another thing I really like, I think, is meeting new people. I love traveling. Uh, too bad the pandemic has kind of, you know, like really yeah. closed down the world in so many ways. Uh, you know, so many people have Zoom meetings and I, I have done hundreds of them. <laughs> but to sit in a room with four people you've never met before, I think how much you learn about each other. Absolutely. It's, it's very hard to replicate that on a video call. Absolutely. I, I was telling um, my, my buddy and I were actually, we're going to go to Dubai in March. We've never been there before. And um, it's something that we're excited about because, you know, we've, we've always wanted to go there. Like, so, you know, getting back to traveling is something that we're, we're pumped about. So um, I want to ask you, Nikhil, Bitcoin, what are your thoughts on it? Where do you see it going? And what's just your overall thoughts on cryptocurrency as a whole? Well, I get, I get why there is so much distrust on the American dollar, which is the predominant currency of the world today. Most of our uh, global assets are backed by that. Uh, I, think, I think the dollar was on a fair path up until the 1970s when it was on the gold standard and it was backed by something. So I think Nixon removed that in 1971 and ever since the dollar has not been backed by anything in uh, it is up to the Federal Reserve to print how much they like. But like any other asset class, if there is more supply than there is demand of a certain commodity, the value has to depreciate. But for vested interests across the world, even in India and China for that matter, if our currency were to appreciate, we would become less relevant as an exporter of services to America. Uh, I think 80s to 2000s, America printed about half a trillion dollars a year. 2000 to 2019, they printed a trillion. I think 2020 has been ridiculous. They yeah. printed four or five trillion dollars. And after supplying so much more of the commodity, the fact that the price of the commodity has not depreciated is worrying. And everybody has to hedge that worry, that risk with something or the other. It could be gold. It could be Bitcoins, it could be any other asset which is managed and has a finite uh, number in existence. So for that reason, more than all else, I like the case that is being made for Bitcoins. But my worry on the flip side is, you know, it, it takes one drastic event. One particular day, if somebody were to get their hands on a nuclear warhead or something like that by Bitcoins and something were to go wrong, I think that would be the end of Bitcoins. And, and at some level, at a very subliminal level, Bitcoin takes away power from government and central banks and elected politicians across the world. Uh, Bitcoin has had a great run recently and those guys have not had a win. At some point, they'll come back and you know they'll want to win. <laughs> uh, totally. So, How is, um... I'm optimistic. Is, a, is crypto adoption happening in India based on what you can see? It is, yeah, it is. Especially in the last, I would say, month or okay. two months. I see a lot more people talking about crypto here. A lot more people buying into crypto. That to me is more a worry than a positive sign because I think 
when the guy on the road the on the street the retail guy mm-hmm. starts buying into an asset class is generally too late for that asset class and uh, where it sits today the amount it has rallied uh, should worry everybody who is invested in it too early. i would i would in fact you know if i were worried about all that i mentioned earlier i would be probably wiser you know stacking like physical gold in a vault somewhere uh, versus buying a bitcoin just because gold still has a real use case in the world in industry there is a real cost you know mining and getting the gold out and there is a finite amount of gold in the world yeah i like that absolutely um Looking back on chess and playing the game of chess, how have you been able to use some of the strategies that you'd use in chess in chess in your business or even personal life? Yes, yeah, so chess. Uh, surprisingly, I think a lot of people associate being intelligent or being smart to being a better chess player. Uh, chess has very little to do with intelligence. Uh, chess is about memory. It's about uh, knowing every opening out there. It's knowing uh, middle game theory and end games, and being able to recall games that have been played historically, and remember who did what and why they did what, and being able to implement that in your game when you're playing. So there are a bunch of basic rules, like you know, you, you try and control the center. You develop your pieces quickly. You castle as quickly as you can. You don't have past pawns and so on and so forth. Uh, I think those same rules apply very closely to the world of investing. You know, you don't leverage. You diversify your portfolio. You you trade with stop losses, and uh, like they say in poker, if you're on tilt, you kind of walk away from investing for you know a certain amount of time. Yeah. Uh, I think. after following all of these rules what differentiates one trader and one chess player from another is how you can be creative atop all of these rules so in terms of how how cardinal how important it is for one to follow these rules to succeed i think there are many similarities between chess investor bar trader or you know even in life for that matter i love it I'd love to talk about your philanthropic initiatives and you know how you plan on giving back. I know this is something very important to you, but um, you know what does that look like in the future and in your life when it comes to philanthropy? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we've been lucky that we've made a little bit of money in our uh, life so far, uh, and most of the philanthropic uh, CSR and all of our effort. in the recent past has been around climate change so we have a great team at work it's headed by a guy called Samir uh, who's exceptionally good at sourcing uh, real opportunities around climate change which can have a substantial impact uh, on the problem i think it's one of those problems which will not work in isolation like nobody can solve it everybody has to do their bit but early days we have just started down that path and i think we ourselves will need some time to figure out where that goes got it um last thing before we wrap up here nikhil i i really do appreciate the time just moving into this new year but also if you were to leave 
today's audience with one piece of advice along their entrepreneurial journey, what would that be and why? Well, I think, um, okay, it would be two things. I think the pandemic has taught us how uncertain many things in life are. Uh, I think to have a little bit of your money as an entrepreneur at any stage in life, uh, maybe 20% of your net worth in a fixed income, totally risk-free liquid asset class is very important. I think that's true for everybody. in, in different geographies, you buy a different product, but everybody needs that. In times of chaos, I think you need to be able to go reach in there and you know tide over the terrible time. Uh, the second thing I would say is often we fixate upon a problem in industry that we would like to solve, but it might be just as important to find the problem you want to fix as it is important to find the sector in which you want to find that problem. Uh, You never want to be swimming against the tide and to pick the sector or pick an industry which is growing or is set to grow at a significant pace over the next decade, I think it's fairly important. I love that. Well, Nikhil, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today's podcast. It really means a lot. Where is the best place that everyone listening can follow you or stay in touch with you? Well, I think Instagram is good. I have a handle called N-I-K-H-I-L-K-M-A-T-H-C-I-O. Love it. I'll link it down below so people can just click the link as well. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, Nickel, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Super. Thank you, Casey. That was fun.